This podcast is sponsored by Xgrowth. Xgrowth is the APAC ABM agency. If you and your organization are looking to land and expand enterprise mid-market deals, Xgrowth is the agency to help. Xgrowth works with a wide range of international and global technology vendors, service providers, and B2B SaaS companies. If this sounds like some of your interests to know more about, make sure to check out Xgrowth at xgrowth.com.au. That's xgrowth.com.au and chat with the APAC ABM agency. What's up, marketers, and welcome to another episode of the Growth Colony Podcast. I'm Liza from Xgrowth to tell you that each episode we bring in B2B leaders to chat about how you can achieve those everyday wins in the marketing world. Whether you're new to the B2B game, working at a leadership level, or even just showing some interest, we know you'll love the episode. So grab a drink, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with Xgrowth. And today I'm talking to Marcus Olds, VP Commercial International at Salesloft, about how should organizations go about sell and market in a down economy. Let's dive in. Marcus, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Hey, absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. So, I don't think it's any secret to everyone. Market is very volatile and it changes rapidly. And uh, it, it's for a lot of industries, it's not looking great. It's not looking great. And um, I, I really want to kind of get a sense from your side. And, and let's start high level. I'd love to know what would you say the main strategies for companies are that they can consider in terms of selling and marketing in a, in a down economy. And let's start from there and then we'll dive, dive deeper. Well, yeah, let's go. Let's go nice broad strokes then. Huh? That's um, exactly. Look, unless you're a debt collector right now, you're right. The market's going to be a little bit more difficult than what it was, say, you know, 12 months ago. Um, you know, we, we like to say that last year, the, you know, the fish were jumping in the boat and, and now we're fishing. And I guess what we think about that is how do we laser focus in on what, are you actually trying to achieve? Now, what we're actually trying to achieve in most businesses is either keeping the lights on or if you've really got strong product market fit, accelerating right now. And so you know, some initiatives that we, we've been thinking about here at SalesLoft are, um, I guess, one, move away from price. Now, it's probably counterintuitive, but the, re- the harsh realities are if you're going and asking for money, from any company, you are risk. And risk is hard to eat right now. And so where we think about that is most, a lot of companies we see make the mistakes of going, like, what I want to do is I'll get price off the to price, price off the cards right now. You know, we'll give you an X discount, or what would it, you know, what would it, what would it need to be for you to win the deal today? And you know, your economic buyer, your champions, they're all telling you, I really want this, I really need this, whatever you're selling gets to your CFO, the CFO says absolutely not. And so what, what we're focusing on now is um, business value realization. How quickly can you get the return? So that's, that's something we definitely focus on now. How do I show you from today, at what point can you stare at me over the table and say, I have made you, 
I've either made you more money or saved you more money um, than the cost associated with itself. That's that's definitely one important point. That might just be like how quickly is your adoption curve? How quickly can you deploy? How quickly do you start to see you know an improvements in your sales cycle if that's what you're selling? The second thing that we're we're thinking about is. With all due respect to every salesperson listening to this, they don't have the same level of gravitas or, I guess, ability to engage with another C-level. So the second thing we look at is, you know, we used to think that adding a me or a, you know, a CEO to the sales cycle um, added value. And, you know, you'd be, you'd be thrown into the theater right at the very end to get a deal over the line. And you know, you're really just there for for showing for you know, for showing pomp. But now we're starting to think like get us in early. So when you think about that down market, you're going to be selling probably two aspects. You're going to be selling the the masses, the stuff that you've always sold. You know, those those inbound inquiries that come through that you you know you, you turn over in a week or that smaller deal, that smaller land from some speculative business that just still wants to buy your product. But we predo law it. Right. So take your most businesses on you know listening in today are gonna to have a dozen accounts, dozen opportunities, maybe ten percent of their opportunities that make sixty, seventy percent of their revenue. Get your execs in early. Align early, make sure there's a partnership um, across the executives and you'll you'll see a lot of value. And the third thing in the down market is don't think about revenue as net new versus growth to you know in a down market your fresh ratio doesn't make much of a difference what you're really thinking about is how do i grow and like if you're talking to a lot of software businesses out there your lifetime value is going to be critical here how much additional products and services can i sell to my existing customer base i'm sure we'll dive in further there you know later on the next kind of half an hour okay got it so, so the, so this, let's, let's, I want to summarize the three. So you talked about move away from the price. Yeah. And that's, that's not a factor. And I want to, I want to talk a little bit about that. Come back to that. The second one that you said was that salesperson probably need assistant earlier from executives uh, in the, in the buying journey, especially for those larger deals. And then the the last one was very interesting that the the idea of not thinking about net new versus growth and taking a different approach so on that first point what so so how would you approach it you talked about value the the, the term you used was business value realization yeah let's talk about that let's let's break that down you you you've mentioned a few kpis that you would look at yeah but what 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 would be the core KPIs that you would say for every deal the salesperson needs to unpack for them to have a higher chance of closing? Oh, where do we where do we start? You know, I wish there I wish it was as easy as here's the silver bullet, guys. What I need you to do is jump on a call, say this line, and the next thing you know, you got an opportunity. I would probably widen out a little bit further than that. Um, the it, in its core. You've really got these two things. Why do people buy anything uh, in a world of B2B anyway? Um, so, I mean, if you're buying a consumer, you might buy it because it makes you happy or you buy it because you specifically need it. But in a world of B2B, it's going to be, can you make me money? Can you save me money? That is really it. Like there have to be the two outcomes. How do you do that is the interesting part. You know, and it's where your product fits within that, that spectrum. Um, your ideal world would be I can save you money and in turn make you money. But what we think about here is like, how do I increase your revenue? 
you know, that might be, can I unlock you more pipeline? Can I win you more deals, improve your conversion rate? Can I increase your maximum? Can I, can I maximize your lifetime value? If I'm, maybe I want to drive, uh, reduce your cost, right? So I'm reducing my cost. Maybe I can coach your teams better. Maybe I can therefore increase their efficiency. Maybe I can help you retain your talent. So you don't have to worry about you know the the cost of rehiring and the cost of re uh, re ramping all your team where you see this big nosedive in in terms of your high level. Maybe I just simply want to simplify your tech stack. You know, look at this world of this big push across the U.S. We're seeing it in EMEA now. We're starting to see it in APAC, which is when the market was was absolutely bloated with cash and cash was cheaper than you know cheaper than water for the last two years. What was happening was people were just buying speculatively. And now we're seeing this big push for consolidation. And then in, in turn, that you know, that can save you a lot of cost, whether that simply do be the time to resource it, the time to service it, but also just the the sheer you know, invoice costs of having too many vendors. Maybe it's spending more time selling. How do I just get you more productive, more salespeople being more productive, speaking to more customers? And all of that is really driven around driving predictability. Can I drive predictability into my organization, therefore you know, driving operational efficiencies? And answer your question. I should answer your questions, but covered covered a lot of ground there. But these are the kind of things we're thinking about when we we start thinking about you know how do we how do we sell into the downturn. I love it. I mean, I mean, this also kind of spills into the marketing message and what you're putting out in the market. And I want to touch on you know what you're doing from a marketing perspective to kind of grab those attentions. But I definitely feel like this spills spills into that as well. Oh yeah. Marketing, huh? Um, like the old, the, the age old sales versus marketing. The the thing is, the way we think about marketing at Sales Loft is their job is really to educate the market, raise awareness of the problems we solve, you know, the solutions that we we have, to smooth out that that justification, like that justification and selection of us as a vendor, whether that be that first initial land or whether that be that ongoing uh, conversation around you know, improving our product mix or adopt or, or adding more users into the platform. So when we kind of saw the market shifting a little bit and you know, we've, we've seen it in the US last year, we've seen it now in EMEA, we're starting to see the early signs of it in APAC now. And we sat down with marketing. We said, "Look, what do we want to do? What we want to do is we want to do. We want to consolidate our core. We don't want to lose any customers. We want to find an opportunity to win those customers that are still buying, or we could have a good opportunity of buying. And we want to maximize our sale, our sales times efficiency. And so when marketing were originally going, like, what I want to do and what we were targeted into, we could sales loft is." You know, in a really luxury position where we do have a very, very big TAM. You know, we're really any business that any any business that does sales by phone and email, any business that simply does sales is probably going to be in our addressable market. And so we were like this greenfields market, more opportunities, get more opportunities, get more opportunities in the boat. And now we're doing two things. One, we're looking at, well, where do we find opportunity? So we laser focused in on where are we finding white space within our core business? Uh, who are our happiest customers that don't have our entire product mix? Um, where are we seeing potential risk of our, on our renewals where we haven't seen you know, an overly happy customer? And we're laser focusing marketing, marketing's dollar there. How do we make sure that they are 
raising awareness, communicating to those customers that we will save churn on. And the second side of things is we, we really went in on, well, what's our ICP? Well, what's our ideal customer profile? And we kind of knew it, but we got a little bit lax as the market was really warm to what, um, you know, what could we bring on board? You know, is it okay to take a business that converts it or a profile that converts at 25% where everything else converts at 35%? Yeah, probably in a good market, that's right. In a market that's down, that 25% very quickly becomes 5%, 4%. And so we, we really started focusing in on, well, what exactly have we seen value on? And the easiest, the easiest way, if you haven't already got it, and we, we, were, we were in a luxury position where we, we did know it. I have this old adage, which is uh, don't, try and, you know, don't try and fix the roof when it's raining, right? And we were, we were trying to fix the roof. We knew it when, when it was sunny. And so we were in a good position. But if you don't know it, the easiest thing to do is go look at the customers that have been with you the longest. Simple as that. Go look at the customers that have been with you the longest and go and converse with them. Why did you buy us? What do you value do you get from us? That's going to give you all the indication you need. Then go on something like, you know, SimilarWeb or, you know, just Google it. Who are their competitors and go after them. Go after them. They're, they're going to be the ones that are really driving. Just get marketing laser focused in on it. But don't stop marketing is usually the, the, the you know, the other thing. Usually we, usually we find that they just stop marketing. Like, oh, you know, budgets are tight. We, we had to cut back on marketing. That's the worst thing they could potentially do in the world. The only, the only time I would ever encourage you to do that is if you're like series A, pre-series A, and you've got enough to keep you afloat, but you just don't know what your customer profile is and you just go throw money at the wall. But if you know what your ICP is, and you've got good product market fit, now is the time to accelerate because businesses will gravitate to best-in-class technology at the moment. Love it. Love it. Okay. Let's let's talk about kind of executive involvement in the mm-hmm. sales process, right? Mm-hmm. Where would you say, so you, you, you talked about how previously it was, it was, it was you, I think you used the term show and pump. Yeah. For uh, for salespeople getting for, for executives getting involved really like in that in those in that last day to say hey we really care about you sign the dotted line yeah. you you're saying it's important to get involved earlier in the mm-hmm. in the process yeah. what are we talking about like what stage are we talking about are we you know there there are some people that I've seen they've they're building executive outreach program where the executives are, are reaching out now whether the executive themselves are reaching out or that's that's happening for them that's a different story yeah but 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 some organizations go at the very beginning in the outreach process and in the in the uh, kind of sales development process with the executives what are your thoughts when when you say you know you got to go out early uh, you got to bring executives earlier in the process yeah tell me a little bit let's unpack that a little bit more in terms of what you mean by that so do I encourage you know, every executive on the call to you know, start making call calls alongside their BDRs? No, right? That's not, it's, you know, it's not a good use of their time. And you know, we'll, we'll can touch on that. I'll touch on that in just a second. The, you, you raise an interesting point around like getting in there really, really early. And, and importantly, your executives, your CEOs, your C-team, your VPs, they've got the biggest network of like my, of stakeholders and, and, and like-minded um, um, uh, people who can actually purchase than what you do as a salesperson, right? That That's just going to be the reality. The reality is that they know people who can buy and they have that relationship. So definitely tap them up for 
you know, uh, a referral, one of the biggest things we encourage all of our BDRs to do and our AEs to do is get onto LinkedIn and connect with all of the C team at their organization. First thing they do, because then they can see their network on LinkedIn and C levels and I don't sit around on LinkedIn all day, you know, reading people's blogs. But I do have a network which is large enough, which is someone that comes to me and says, hey, I'm trying to crack into this market or, um, you know, who do, who do you know that could be who could buy? And I can do some introductions. But in terms of the actual sales motion itself, as I said, executives aren't going to sit there. There will be people listening in who, who may have to do a very enterprise-focused business and they've got three, four, five, six deals that they need to focus on for the entire quarter. Or, you know, my CEO said to me yesterday, he said, um, I was, I'm not the kind of person who wants to run 30, 40 sales motions. I'm the kind of, kind of guy who wants to run two that are million-dollar contracts and I'm going to win one of them, right? So what, what we think about here is like that Pareto law element to it. You are going to look at your pipeline and you're going to say, this top 10% is worth 60, 70% of my revenue. This top 20% is worth 80% of my revenue. And I'm typically being converting, you know, maybe 30% of them, 40% of them. It's always going to be a decent clip because you're laser focused on winning those larger contracts and you wouldn't focus all your time and effort if it's speculative. If you can move the needle up five, six, seven percent that's going to make a big going to make a big material difference and to do that in a down market people aren't just it's a buyer's market and they're going to be expected of you that you throw a level of appetite to want to win their business and so the first thing we look at is subject matter expertise run the discovery you know great salespeople can run great discovery great discovery leads to great leads to conversion right or the ability to qualify out so let's say hypothetically they say Look, I've got an incumbent supply, but I'm not very happy with their service. First thing I want to do is go get my VP of customer success. First thing I want to do is go get my you know, VP of support, customer support. And I want to put them in front of the buyers so they can look, I can eyeball them and they can actually have that conversation. We have an issue with uh, return on investment or cash flow or payment schedules. I want to get my CFO involved. I want to get my, my head of accounting involved. These are the things we have subject matter expertise to subject matter expertise. I've got an issue with your technology stack and I want to go through your security protocols. I'm going to get my head of security in. Don't, don't expect that you as a salesperson or even me as a VP of commercial knows the, in, you know, the ins and outs of all the different aspects of running the entire customer journey, all the dependabilities on why you think that customer is going to, be, going to buy from you. Let your subject matter experts do it. You know, I'm not a I'm not a head of customer success. I'm definitely, definitely not a uh, engineer, software engineer, right? That's so. Yeah, that's what I would suggest. Make sure that you are partnering with your team after discovery. Bring them in. Make sure that they they uh, they have that direct line of communication, and you know you're going to be in a much better position. Let's touch on the last one, which was yeah. you started with. It's going to be counterintuitive, and it is counter. I, I want to get my head around this. Yeah. Where he said, don't think about it as net new versus growth. Yeah. Focus on LTV. Yeah. Let's unpack that. Let's dive a little bit deeper over there. What What do you mean? Are you saying that, hey, don't focus on landing new accounts? Don't focus on kind of growing the existing account? Or are you saying, hey, overall, just look at look at an account and see what is the LTV of this of this potential account and go after that? Let's... I'd love to know more in terms of what you meant by that statement. Yeah, sure. So there's a lot, there's a lot in there. When we think about the new logo piece, the we typically – sorry, let me take a step back. Businesses go into every year with a plan and then, the, and then they get hit in the face because the, there's a big shifting paradigm and they're unwilling to be agile to it. 
when really the core focus of the business is to grow 20% year over year or hit profitability through a certain amount of revenue or whatever the case may be. That's their core. But they've disseminated that target into KPIs and numbers on a screen in terms of net new versus upgrades or whatever the case may be. And the harsh reality is in a down market, there isn't as much in your business. It's there. Don't get me wrong. It's definitely there. But you're going to be taking a haircut on revenue. You're probably going to be over-indexing your support. Things that maybe elongate your speed to profitability on that particular transaction. So you have to make a conscious decision as a business of whether or not you can you can ride that wave. Am I willing to take a slight haircut on conversion of the deal? Am I willing to over-index my support for that deal, like i.e. maybe drop your customer success program down so that it supports a slightly lower value uh, contract? Because the buyers are going to be able to do that because there'll be somebody else in the market. One of your competitors is going to take that logo. So what I think about there is, am I bringing on the right kind of customer for my new logos? I don't just want any logo. And I find that in the market, yes, the market is not flush with new opportunities, not as well as it was, right? People look at that, make the decisions of who they got to purchase and when they got to purchase. But a lot of businesses that I find, and we talk to a lot of customers who sell to salespeople and sell to companies, um, the nature of the, you know, the environment I operate. And a lot of businesses today in a down market are just trying to find a silver bullet for what's going to save their business. Like they started Q1, they started Q2. Uh, sorry, in this case, yeah, it depends on what market you're operating in, right? So the Q1 or Q2. And all of a sudden, there's this big chasm in their forecast and they go, shit. I need to go and fix it, right? So they run around trying to find a piece of technology or they go and run around trying to find a vendor to make that work. And they're, they're not prepared for it. They don't know how to, how, to make that, how to make that work. And so they come and buy, a, they come try and find a vendor and they demand a lot. They're not prepared for it. And you end up bringing them on board because you just want a logo and they'll churn after a year, you know? And really what you've done in most businesses, I'm going to have a CAC payback for 13, 14 months. And if you're any, if you're much lower than that, then good, you know, good on you. Um, but so you got this piece, right? Which is, am I winning the right type of logo? Am I bringing on board customers I can see as a long-term customer for, 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 for me, for sales loft in, that partic- in this particular scenario? Because I'm not going to make any money back from them if they churn out in 12 months. I've actually lost money on them. And I've probably, probably not been able to index myself onto other businesses that are going to stay with us in the long term and see profitability. On the, on the churn side, the keeping customers, they are your biggest resource for revenue. The... I would dare say that any business that says to me, I've tapped out, capped out my portfolio, probably need, either needs to go to their product team, have a good hard look at them and say, why are we not expanding our product mix? Because we've got very happy customers that are you know, utilizing us across their organization. But the reality there is you've got expansion opportunities, you've got cross-sell opportunities. And, and if you've got happy customers that are using you across the business, using you across your entire product mix, what you have is you've got the ability just simply to slightly increase the price, you know, seven, eight, nine percent across your entire portfolio mix. That's going to be, you know, much healthier, easier, more profitable way of driving growth into your organization. So, I you think about revenue across the across the life cycle. Don't just think about revenue as new business versus versus upgrades, and then make sure that you are focusing your attention on on how do I 
best create efficiencies and short-term and immediate wins that make benefit for the business in the long run. Don't get into this weird sidetrack of I've got to win logos, I've got to win logos, I've got to win logos because the business has told you I need to go and win more new business. Because if it's the wrong new business, you'll just be float, floundering around in 12 months from now trying to save churn. You know, and that's not, that's not very helpful. I love that long-term view on making sure that the, the LTV is there, but also it's the right fit because it's hard, right? It's like you have certain numbers that you have to hit. If you're an SDR or an AE, you got to hit those numbers. And some of those numbers are associated with, for example, net new logos. And you're like, whatever, I'm just going to push this through because I got to hit my number. But really that is incentivizing some of the wrong behaviors and, uh, and the business is going to have losses in, in the long run. The thing, the thing is about that is the worst thing you can do as a business leader is to force your man at your reps to do the wrong thing. You know, reps will do what you tell them to do because at the end of the day, their job is to manage upwards, make their boss think they're doing great, that they're a team player, that they're all in it together. That you know, that but really, it's the case of your commission structure will dictate the opera the way in which someone operates. So, just as if you're a manager out there, listen to your team and say, is my team hitting their number? Or at least like, let's say 60% of my team hitting their number. I like a pretty healthy organization, but 60% of the team hitting my number. I'll tell you what at SalesLoft, we found in October, November last year, the BDRs weren't hitting their number. And we said, okay, is this a people problem, a skill problem, or a market problem? The harsh reality is that nobody in the team was hitting their number. That's a, that's a system problem. That's a market problem. That's got nothing to do with my team. My team are great. My team didn't forget how to sell between you know August and September and then wake up on October the 1st and realize they couldn't sell anymore. So what we did is we just shifted it. We, we, we reduced their targets down. We recalibrated the way in which they focused and where they wanted to focus their attention because we knew that we needed to get them through the storm. Because if I lost my team and they all just left and they were, you know, or they just sat there in the doldrums not believing they can hit their number, the, the harsh reality is my team's not like at an aggregate in the short term, I'm not going to make any money because they're all just disenchanted, disengaged, not being efficient. And in the long term, they're all going to leave and they're going to remember the way in which you treated them as a manager when the market was down. Did you just like make them white knuckle it through a whole you know six, seven months until the market returned around again and <laughs> VCs and PEs decided to get rich again and throw start money running at the powder, threw powder into the market. So everyone grew and the, you know, the boats rose again. Or did you treat them with a level of dignity and respect to say we're all in it together because they'll remember that and they'll stay and my business will become much, much more efficient in the next 12 months? You talked about the importance of looking at existing customers and the fact that they are your biggest source of revenue. Mm -hmm. What are some of the tactics that you implement You know, or you, you, you get a system maybe from marketing or yeah. the sales function itself implements? to materialize that exp account expansion? Yeah. First is how big is the ocean, you know? So you, we need we have a very, very clear view of the value a deal uh, every logo can bring us. So we know white space, like in and out. We can, we do have some tools that we, we built internally um, that will allow us just to stack rank it. And we, but we drag a lot of that information in from external resources like uh, LinkedIn Insights, but actually, some of the times it's just if you've got an existing customer, you just ask them, you know, because LinkedIn Insights, no offense to LinkedIn Insights or any of these tools, they can be a little bit off. Right? 
the amount of LinkedIn, in, the, the amount of businesses, uh, Zoom Info says you've got 800 customers, 800 employees that, you know, they did a riff or they've actually been growing much faster than that. We just haven't updated the data point. So a lot of time we just ask them, you know, how big, you know, how many salespeople do you have? How many people in your revenue org? How many people X, Y, Z? And we just start mapping it out. So what we have is a white space map. That gives us, that really gives us a clear indication of where we can find growth. You can't, you can't sell into businesses that don't have anything to sell into. So that's one. The second thing is we have a very clear view of their of our product mix within those organizations. So where can we sell additional modules? Where can we sell into different offices? Where can we go international with these businesses, especially in our enterprise uh, our enterprise business, uh, where yeah, really you have a huge amount of opportunity you would expect. Once we know where we can sell new products into new um, into new businesses, we typically focus on both. You know, in an ideal world as a VP of commercial, give me a new user buying, you know, selling, using everything across our product mix, and I'll I'll be a happy man because it's just going to accelerate much faster, right? Like you, know, you double your revenue on every individual rather than you know add ten percent, fifteen percent, twenty percent as you add more modules. So we have that. What we then look at in terms of our ability to convert that revenue is a health index. So we're really, we have like a, a health index. Anyone can, everyone can really build one. It doesn't take rocket science. If you haven't got that level of data, I would highly recommend you go and find it. We start with adoption. Are people using us every day? If people log into our platform in the morning and log out of our platform in the evening, you're going to expect a certain level of happiness, you know, customer satisfaction. The second thing we look at is to validate that customer satisfaction is the number of tickets. How many tickets are we inquiring from them? The answer is zero is bad and a thousand is bad. <laughs> you know, zero is I don't care about your product enough to actually ask questions. And a hundred is it's probably going wrong. <laughs> what we look for is that middle ground. We want like five, 10, 15 tickets in our particular market um, comparative to others because it shows that they're interested, they're engaged, but it's probably not material enough to be really bad. Uh, and we start, we, we add that into our matrix. The third thing we look at is executive alignment. So have we actually spoken to a C-level around what their goals are and have we then been hitting those goals? So we might, like we talk about that business value realization before. Buying, this for sales love, buying um, buying our technology could, could be a lot of things. You know, as I said before, we've got lots of areas in which we can improve. So if a business is coming to us and saying, look, Marcus, I really, really want to buy sales love because I need more pipeline. Marcus, I really want to buy sales love because I want more efficiency. Marcus, I really want to improve my speed to my speed to lead. Marcus, I really want to improve my speed to competency of my ramping reps, whatever the case might be. If we've been hitting those goals, we've now built trust. And fourth, which is probably the biggest one I've left to last, is I have a very clear understanding of my, my, my customers' tech stacks. I know when they, who they use, I know when they renew. And so in a down market, I'm not asking for a bigger wallet. I'm asking for the 20 that's already sitting in it. And that is a much, much easier way because I would dare say that if I've got a happy team who's using Sales Loft every day, we're hitting goals, there's a built trust, I know exactly, I've got direct relation to the executive alignment and I walk in and I say, don't buy that piece of technology again, come and consolidate to us we're in a much better position. That's such a great list. I mean, the adoption component, you talked about, you know, understanding, well, you you first talked about kind of mapping the white space, then understanding who are other technology players in there, talked about adoption, the number of tickets is a great way. I love that of, of kind of assessing 
how much they 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 love it, it also probably correlates to adoption but I, I i love that the executive alignment and then getting a really good understanding of the tech stack that's uh that's such a comprehensive list yeah i tell you a little trick on the on the tech on the ticket thing is usually you find that the tickets are a direct reflection of um really unhappy disenchanted users or power users and them in themselves become a really valuable customer voice if I want to crack a market, I don't speak to a senior manager or a you know operations manager. I'll definitely be sitting there talking to them about their you know their M1s, their M2s, their goals, their OKRs, you know, however you want to describe it. But if we really want to get to the heartbeat of a team, go speak to the user that's really disenchanted with your product. They'll tell you everything you need to know because they're the ones who are the most vocal to your manager saying, I hate this piece of technology or you know, I love this piece <laughs> of technology. And and, and that is I've never, ever found a VP of sales worth their weight or a CEO or a CRO that doesn't listen to their team for what it's worth. Yeah, yeah. And, and Marcus, once you capture this information, what, what do you do? Do you, do you kind of like give them a weight and then turn them into, you talked about the health index, turn them yeah. into that index? Yeah. What, 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 what happens afterwards? There's two things, actually. Um, one is in a down market, be proactive, not reactive. You know, so... The, the proactivity piece would be, do you have a rhythm of business to engage with your engage with your uh, customer base and have you prioritized it? So it might be, have you given your team, adding you know, talking to a manager here or even as an individual ramp, you know, have you given yourself the opportunity or what I call an event to have a conversation with your customer? Right? That could be just simply a monthly check-in. It could be a, a more robust QBR. It could be a success plan. These are all things that are that can be proactively driven into your customer base that gives you an opportunity to get that relationship and have that engagement around how are you feeling about this partnership. You know, if you if you're doing that laser focused into the businesses with the most white space, now you're controlling your now you can really control the agenda and the narrative. Worst case scenario, you walk out of those QBRs of success plans, those meets, and they tell you how much they hate you and you're completely wrong and you have to go and fix it. Best case is you open up a conversation about how happy they are and you give yourself an opportunity to start expanding and having that conversation. If you're really, really clever with it, you can time it even better around their buying uh, their buying cycles. You know, So when do they buy you? And maybe you turn it into a renewal conversation and you extend that renewal and you can renegotiate your terms at that point and expand your con- your, your expand your footprint with them. Or you do it timely within, say, three or four months of a renewal of one of their competitors that you've got re- you've got written down. You know, so as they go into this procurement cycle of looking at their vendors, you know, can I get myself in there when they're in that buying open mindset, that buying mindset? and just give them that opportunity. So they're the two things that we would typically do. Be very, very proactive around it, give yourself an opportunity. And then do it, as I said before, like really early days um, in this conversation would be, be conscious of who you put in the room. So if it's one of your really big white space customers that are actually also one of your, maybe your larger customers right now, Bring along your, we, you know, we bring along our C team, we bring along our VPs, we bring around our subject matter expertise that they're in the moment, um, because trying to, trying to get, and we on this we obviously ask on the on the flip side from our champions and our and our really heavy users and our DMs to bring their C team along as well, because and then we get you know this one conversation started and it really starts to expand quickly. Because otherwise you're piecemealing it, and that becomes quite difficult to to get down into the 
how can I get all that buying committee in the room at any one time? Love it. Love it. That, that, I mean, that's, that's a great blueprint of basically everything that we spoke about of, of thinking about approaching these, uh, approaching, approaching general re- revenue in a down market. I, I love that. I want to talk about some, I want to ask you some rapid fire questions, but before I do that, do you think there's anything else that maybe I haven't touched on or you think it's important for us to cover about everything that we've been talking about? I don't know. I've been, uh, been soapboxing for 30 minutes now. Mate, so, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I kind of touched on it, but the only, the, the thing is, is that in a down market, you need to find time to breathe. You know, my team told me the other day that sometimes it feels like every day is the last day of Q4 because, you know, you're, you're doing more, you're trying to do more with less constantly. And so if you're a manager out there, I'd highly recommend that you just give yourself and your teams an opportunity to vent and talk about how difficult it is and talk about how hard it is and just give them an opportunity to decompress and make sure that even as a manager, maybe you could do it just by having really clear defined like work-life balance something simple as that like i promise not to call you after six o'clock until it's unless it's absolutely urgent or even five o'clock one of the things we we employed here is um when we we use slack as our as our you know uh, communication tool internally like like a lot of businesses and one of the things we enforce was like scheduled messages it's okay if i'm working till eight nine o'clock at night it's not okay to expect my manager my team to work at eight o'clock at nine o'clock at night but if they get a little slack message on their phone or their smartwatch pop up and it's from me they're going to jump on it you know for better or worse right it could just be like hey how's your day but they jump on it and that doesn't help right and you want the team fresh as much as you possibly can so i would i would highly recommend you just let everyone breathe and we haven't really touched on that but it's important all of these things are more with less it's harder there's more steps, there's more documentation, there's you know more risk, there's more more everything. And it matters as much as we we push ever we push and we push and we push and we push. We set targets when the market was flush and we're operating when the market is down. And so it's always gonna be harder. And remember that the the boats will rise again, they always do. Rich people like to become rich, and you know the the reality is that investors don't just wait, won't just wait around forever, never to put money back into the market. They're going to do it, and they're going to do it soon. And it, you know your team will remember um, the way in which you treated them during that time, well, before that time. Such great points. I mean, I love that quote. Every day feels like it's the last day of the Q of Q four. Yeah, that's so good. And uh, I feel like it's so true in so many different situations. Love that. Thank you. Thank you very much for that last point. Have you read the state of ABM and APAC report yet? If you have, you'll know that 59% of marketing leaders are intending to increase their ABM investment in the coming year. Even bigger news is 0% of survey respondents are going to decrease their investment. It's an exciting time for ABM in the region. Discover the state of account-based marketing in APAC today. Download the full report at abm.xgrowth.com.au forward slash report. That's abm.xgrowth.com.au forward slash report. Let's do some rapid fire questions. Yeah, go for it. First one, Marcus, what is one resource? It could be a book, a blog, a podcast, a talk, an article, whatever it is that has had a profound impact on the way you work or live. Oh, the can I have a demo request of salesloft.com? No, um, the um, I was thinking, um, the one I the one that's really resonated with me is 
Well, originally it was um, Never Split the Difference, right? Chris Voss, really classic sales sales book of how to negotiate. But actually what I find is I'm really into the Black Swan Consulting blog, which is his consulting team. It's his consulting company, not just the book. Because you know, Never Split the Difference is a classic, but it's been around for years and years and years now. And actually the, blocks, the Black Swan Consulting group is more in the moment. And it's really good if you are a, you know, an individual contributor or a sales manager about how thinking about the psychology of negotiations and negotiate when, when the market is, as I said, like not flush and it's a buyer's market, it's important to be able to find those marginal gains on every single deal. And so that's, a, that's one that I've been resonating with a lot at the moment. So yeah, I would go with as it's rapid fire. I won't keep on talking. We'll keep with that one. That's great. That's great. I, I, I mean, love never split the difference, but I have never checked the Black Swan blog. So that has definitely gone on my list too, of things yeah. to check out. It's great. Every, every, and it's also not spammy. You don't get it every day. You get it probably once or twice a week. And it's, you know, it's always really impactful stuff and really practical. Love it. Question two, what do you, um, if you could give one piece of advice to B2B sales and marketers, what would it be? Sales and marketers? Sales and marketers and you're on the same team. Don't get bogged down in your own data, your own dashboards or your own data or how much pipeline you built compared to they built or how that opportunity isn't any good. And, you know, I wish the opportunity was like this or I wish the opportunity was like that. The reality is, is that it never really makes a difference when it all goes in the end and it goes into the end pot. And so you should just in a, in a, in a down market, as we keep on theme, is over communicate. Are you selling in a shifting paradigm? Does that messaging work? And make sure that you are aligned to what that messaging is so that you've got a really clear view of um, did it or didn't work. And what I mean by that is as your product is shifting or as your go-to-market messaging is shifting, is what you're saying in your ads and what you're saying on your website a reflection of what the SDR or the BDR says to the market is a reflection of how you shape your discovery calls and your, you know, your agenda of your meetings so that you can actually see it. That's an important one. We find that you know ads ads change, campaigns change, but our messaging doesn't change. And then we turn around and say the campaign didn't work. Campaign probably did work. We just didn't test it. Got it. Question three: Who are some of the influencers that you follow? Oh, um, I'll say something very conflu- conflu- controversial, which I don't follow any link flowers. You know, all those LinkedIn influencers that are, you know, amazing in their own right because they've told themselves they are and therefore, <laughs> you, should, you know, you should follow them. I re- there's obviously some good ones on there that have done it and been there before, but there's also some ones that were just great at the Instagramization of LinkedIn. What I, what I, uh, and so for anyone listening out there, validate the people you are following. Have they done it before or are they just spitting crap? It might sound good, but, you know, re- reality sometimes is it's just making sure they can tell you the right stories of, of when and how it worked. I'm a big fan of a guy called Thomas Tugush. He's a, he's a, he's a venture capitalist. He, he worked at Redpoint and he's, he's got a great blog that, he's, that he talks about the market architecture a lot. I think that's really helpful. Um, as I said, Black Swan Consulting is a good one for me as well. From a marketing perspective, I'm a big fan of Dave Gerhardt. He was the former CMO of Drift. I think he's got a new community now that he's just recently launched and and that's really that's been a really valuable asset because he talks in real language and he's been in, and he's done it you know he's built small businesses and large businesses the other th- finding i find not an influencer per se 
Um, it would be, um, I'm a big fan in, the, in Europe of say Balderton Capital. They, they bring out a lot of what the market's like and they bring out a lot of stories. And that's been really valuable for me as well, just like understanding the architecture of how money is flowing. And money flowing typically al allows me to make much wiser decisions around you know, where should I focus my teams. Got it. And they're called Boulders and Capital, Bo is that right? And, yeah, Boulders and Capital is probably one of the larger investment funds over here in, in Europe. And uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, uh, funds, but these guys are really good at bringing out some amazing uh, articles and content to educate the market. So they've been really valuable. Interesting. Interesting. Thanks for, thanks for that list. Last question. What is something that excites you about B2B today? That it is becoming more and more a profession that people can be proud of. Like I've been doing sales since I was very young. I was 16 years old and I set up my very first little company selling 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 online music rights of all the things back when like MySpace and Pure Volume was around which is a throwback <laughs> if anyone who's listening and knows what they are um, some people listening probably haven't even been born yet and sales was this thing that has made my career it's made my life right I'm very happy with my I'm very happy with my life I'm very proud of the life I've built but sales was there and I but I do remember 10-15 years ago people were like well, you know what do you do and you're like you know I'm a salesperson. And the connotation of that was was negative, right? It was like door knocking or, you know, fraudulent behavior or, you know, the old cliche of used car salesmen, annoying. And I think that I'm really excited by this push that as people have understood that you can't displace the humanization of sales, that it started to be the thing that people really do invest in. Like it's always been a relatively well-paying industry if you're good at it. But I think that there's definitely this view now that it can be the kind of thing that you can really make a good life and career out of. And, and so that's what that's led to is the gravitation of really intelligent, really clever people leaning into wanting to be in sales more so than maybe working in finance, you know, because the earning potential is there, but the work-life balance is better. And so I'm really excited by that concept, the concept that we're still in that primordial ooze of what do sales become now that there is a vocationalization of it, more so than, you know, how'd you get into sales? Oh, I just fell into it one day. You know, it was like, <laughs> no, I made a conscious decision to go into sales because it's the kind of thing that I know I can make an impact with and I enjoy it. I enjoy solving problems for customers. I enjoy relationship management. I enjoy the, like, the capitalization of things. I enjoy the way companies work and that's why I got into it. And I think that that's a, that's a really exciting thing because I've definitely seen it in the caliber of sales teams and the individuals and the backgrounds of the people that we now bring into the org comparative to what I was bringing in in say like the, the early 2000s. Very true. Very true. I, I completely agree with you. I think that the sales profession is viewed very differently now than, than it was before. And, um, and that is, that is, that yeah. it's a great point. Yeah. Marcus, this is a great chat. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And I, I really enjoyed this conversation. There's so much golden nuggets that you dropped. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for having me. Today's episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell and Liza Maywald. It was edited by Dave Semedo with additional editing by Liza Maywald and music arrangement by Alexander and Liza. Special thanks to Tina Wabe. We couldn't make the show without you. Growth Colony is hosted by Shaheen Hoda, Director of Growth at Xgrowth.
If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do you think you'd be a great guest or just keen for a chat? Send through an email at podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's all for now. We'll catch you next week right here on Growth Colony.